Welcome to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome to The Good Life. Encouraging you with inspirational stories to share with family and friends through perspectives of hope in Jesus Christ. What happened to a student at MIT on April Fool's Day in 1979? Was there a crisis in his life? Was he upset about something? How important was that day in his life? spiritual journey. This is the story of Rocklin E. Clark, Sr., a life of one who recognizes the collective gifts of God and the privilege of fulfilling the Lord's calling with love and joy. We pause to remind you the reason we have the Good Life Show is to share how the love of Jesus Christ makes a difference in the lives of people. My friend, I'm talking about the love of Jesus so strong, so strong that he died on the cross for your sins and mine. He was buried and rose again on the third day, offering God's hope, hope that Rockland knows very well. Pastor Rockland Clark is the senior pastor of Life Church Ministries in Boston. He and his wife Eva founded Life Church Ministries in 2003. Rockland was ordained under Church Without Walls International, now Jubilee Christian Church. Rockland is an alumnus of MIT where he received his Bachelor of Science degree in physics. He and Eva live in the Dorchester neighborhood of Boston. They have a son, a daughter, and five grandchildren. Pastor Clark, welcome to our show. Thank you. Great to be here. Where did you grow up? Grew up in New York City in uh, Queens. What was it like growing up in Queens? Uh, it was a nice childhood. I had a, you know, I've, I've not had a difficult life. I had a, a, my father died when I was two weeks old, but I had a loving family, a close-knit family, my mother, uh, her sister, my aunt. Uh, her husband, my uncle, and uh, uh, their daughter, my cousin, and my grandmother and uh, grandfather. Uh, we were close, and um, I had a great, great childhood. Um, when I was in sixth, uh, excuse me, when I was in uh, kindergarten, uh, I had a chance because my uncle had uh, gone to Belgium for medical school. Uh, they invited me to stay with them for six months, and so I did half of kindergarten in uh, in the city of Louvain in Belgium. Uh, so that was that was that was fascinating. My cousin was was a little you know a baby at the time, and then you know eventually they they came back to the states, and uh, I got to visit them when they lived in Rochester, and then they lived in Buffalo, and then they settled back in in Queens, and so we. We, we, you know, my, my, my cousin Kim is more like a little sister to me. Uh, but it's great growing, growing up in Queens. Kindergarten in Louvain. Yeah. What, looking back, what do, you, what do you feel that experience as a kindergartner instilled in you? And maybe even your perspective of life from mm. childhood on. Yeah, so I, I, I guess my most vivid memories, the strongest memories I have from that time was um, I remember being interested in, in trains and being an engineer and my uncle asking my uncle, uh, you know, what, what should I be when I grow up? And he said, um, why don't you be a philosopher? You know, philosophers, I said, what do philosophers do? He said, they think about new ways of doing things. So for a while, I would tell people I wanted to be a philosopher. Um, and then I became interested in science. But there in Louvain, one strong memory I have was uh, we were playing with the, all the kids were playing one day, and and a bunch of them decided to 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 pile on top of me. Uh, I don't think it was really mean spirited, but it was just you know kids. Uh, I think it was all boys, boys being boys. But I remember I couldn't breathe, and I'm looking. I'm on my back, looking up at 
sort of this pile of kids on top of me trying to say I can't breathe. And when they finally got off of me, I went to complain to the teacher uh, who spoke Flemish, but not, uh, and probably French, but not English. And I didn't speak Flemish or, or French. And so I was saying, they piled on top of me. They piled on top of me. And I remember her looking at me and patting me on the head and saying, okay, okay, okay. I just, so I felt a language barrier. That was the, it's like, I can't get this woman to understand what happened. That, 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 that's a particular memory of mine. Math and science. Mm-hmm. I'll just say it this way. The, the, the quote-unquote language of math and science mm-hmm. seems to have been natural for you. What, what did you experience as a child when you went to Bronx High School of Science? Yeah. What happened in you as you began to engage with both math and science? Right. Well, I engaged with math and science before I got to Bronx High School of Science when I was probably in the fifth grade. Uh, so I, I remember uh, in the school that I went to, uh, elementary school, uh, PS35 in Queens, uh, I remember being teased by uh, a number of the kids when I would raise my hand in class. And, uh, and, and so there was that struggle and I, I, I was interested in learning and not all the kids were interested in learning. And so that was, that was, that was a struggle. But I remember in fifth grade going down to the basement, uh, the house of the house that I initially grew up in, uh, we left that house and moved to an apartment, uh, a couple of years later, but in the basement, there was this roll top desk that I'd seen often. And I looked inside of it and there were these books. And uh, elementary algebra, uh, trigonometry, uh, analytical geometry, differential equations, calculus, advanced calculus. And I remember going to my mother and saying, Mommy, what are these books? And she said, those are your father's books. And my father was an electrical engineer. And I thought, well, I, I want to I study. I, I want to get into this. And she said, well, talk to your uncle. Uh, he had become a doctor by then, and he was a neurologist. And... And so I go to Uncle Charlie and I say, um, and he just celebrated his uh, 95th birthday down in, in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Happy birthday to Uncle Charlie. Yes, indeed, 95. because I, I went to him and I said, well, you know, these are, these are my, my father's books. What do I do? He said, well, start with elementary algebra. And I, I thought, okay. So I started trying to work the problems in the elementary algebra book, and it wasn't that elementary. My mother gave me her high school made simple. And so I, I did the algebra section in high school made simple and uh, work through those. And then when I finished that, then I could tackle the elementary algebra book. And after that, I, uh, I went on to trigonometry and, uh, and analytical geometry. And then eventually, so I taught myself calculus in junior high. And my uncle told me that uh, he thought I needed to go to Bronx High School of Science. And so he, he sort of sent me in that direction. And... Um, so that that's that that's where I went, and there I was in. And so the junior high I went to, uh, my my mother thought that, given the experiences I was having in in, in elementary school, uh, and we flirted briefly with me going to a private school in sixth grade, uh, the Walden School in New York, but there was a sort of a casual attitude about homework. And I remember I'd come home and they'd say, well, "Don't you have homework?" Well, they said, "If if I didn't want to do it, I didn't have to do it." And they decided that wasn't really a good, <laughs> good place for me. So uh, I went to uh, Ryan Junior High School, two sixteen in in uh, in Flushing, uh, section of Queens, which was near my aunt and uncle, and uh, and and there I you know I, I I was in classes that really sort of catered to my interest in math and science. Um, my uncle had said go to Bronx Science, so I took the the exam. It was one of the three at the time exam schools in New York. I took the exam, got got in, went to Bronx Science, and uh, and then from there he said, uh, you know, he he thought in terms of college that I should go to MIT. So I. What about Columbia? weren't you? Didn't you attend? A uh, there was a, a science honors program, mm-hmm. uh, Columbia Science Honors Program. So I did attend that while I was at while I was at uh, at Bronx Science. That was a program for high school students to do extra. Extra work. So yeah, I was in the Columbia Science Honors Program. How did the Lord open the door for you, your journey to MIT? Well, I, you know, I, I, it's interesting. I haven't thought about 
how the Lord opened that door. I just know that I was applying like a lot of the other students to to the different schools. I applied to Harvard, Princeton, Columbia, MIT, and Brown. Uh, I got into those schools. Um, my uncle said, you should go to MIT. So I just made the decision. In fact, the head of the math department at, at Bronx Science, she was trying to steer students to Harvard, and she was kind of disappointed that I'd made my decision to MIT without talking to her, but you know, I, I picked MIT. And, uh, and there, uh, that, that sort of began a whole, a whole new journey for me. Your uncle's name, the-, the, the Charles Huey. Neurologist, yeah. Charles Huey. Mm-hmm. Nurtured you from when you were in kindergarten in Belgium. Yeah. And you mentioned him so many times, just talking about decisions, questions. Seems like the Lord really helped shape you through his his influence. Yeah, yeah, uh, through his influence. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, of course, my mother is a very important influence for me. But um, you know, I did not grow up in a in a church uh, church background. Nobody in my f- my my grandmother was a Christian. Uh, a very firm Christian. She wasn't particularly good at explaining the gospel, but I knew that that Jesus was important to her and that her life, Jesus was a foundation for her life. But uh, I didn't go to church. My mother had become alienated. She'd gotten baptized as a, as a young girl around 12, but then felt uh, uh, she was sort of put off by what she saw as hypocritical behavior in, in some church folks. So she didn't. She took me to Sunday school briefly for maybe a few months, and then decided I liked it too much, so she she took me out. You're listening to Pastor Rockland Clark. You can find out more about him and his ministry at LifeChurchBoston.org. So he's on his way to MIT. How does he come to know the Lord? When we come back from our break, you're going to hear that story. Was he going through a crisis moment? What happened on April Fool's Day in 1979? Was he upset about something? He'll share that story and more when we come back. Moments like these, how does God intersect with our lives? You ever reflect on that? How might God be intersecting with your life, perhaps even now? LifeChurchBoston.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wondering the road of desperate life Famously beneath the barren sky Leave it to me, I'll lead you home James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Pastor Rockland Clark grew up in New York City. He attended Bronx High School of Science. I guess they just call it Bronx Science. And while there, he participated in the Columbia University Science Honors Program and the Hampshire College Summer Studies in Math He became a student at MIT. In fact, I heard somewhere that he was going to be a triple major at MIT. He ended up graduating with a degree in physics. You're listening to The Good Life Program. Thanks for being with us. If you're tuning in right now, maybe you caught the tail end of that last segment. Look, this program is available for you. Go to drdanny.live. It's available on Spotify or Apple. 
any podcast platform. And to find out more about Pastor Rockland Clark, go to lifechurchboston.org. How did the Lord lead you, Rockland? Lead you to, how did you come to Christ, I should say, at MIT? Well, uh, I guess the precursor is a letter that my, probably two important precursors. One is there's a program, a claymation program called Davy and Goliath that uh, was uh, sponsored by the Lutheran Church. And as a child, I watched those episodes and they they impacted me uh, with some basic ideas about God and forgiveness and, and what have you. I didn't come away with a specific um, uh, theological understanding. I also went to... Uh, a summer camp that happened to be run by Trinity uh, Trinity Church in Manhattan. Uh, they had a summer camp at in West Cornwall, Connecticut, and I went for about four consecutive summers. What was interesting is that I got curious about the Lord because they we'd have chapel service every day and and uh, interesting music. And uh, I remember sing we we would sing the Nicene Creed. I knew the Nicene Creed and could sing it. I still can. Uh, you know, when I was, you know, from summer camp and uh, on through the first couple of years of high school, um, I wasn't saved, though. Uh, and I would ask the priests questions, and they would give me sort of precise answers, but not the big picture of how to follow Jesus. So uh, I sort of left that alone. And uh, in senior, my senior year, my sister, I have two sisters from my father's first marriage. They are 15 and 16 years older than I am. So I didn't grow up with them, but I certainly knew them. And and interact with them. And, and the younger of the two, Renee, wrote me a letter uh, senior year telling me how important it was that I accept Jesus as, as Lord of my life. They had both gotten saved at an early age and fallen away, and then they both subsequently came back to the Lord, and Renee came back earlier. And so she had written me this letter. And I was, uh, at that time, I was disaffected in terms of church stuff. I, I was angry, insulted, tore the letter up, threw it away but never forgot what she had written. So by the time I got to MIT, uh, when I got there, I met uh, my, what the, the, Michael Harrison, my best friend uh, there, uh, who became my best man at, at, at our wedding, and he talked to me about Jesus. Um, and then the following year, the year I met my wife, I also met Courtney McBath, who is now the bishop over Calvary Revival Church, a uh, very large ministry in Norfolk, Virginia, but at the time, he was an incoming, you know, freshman, and I was a tutor in the summer program that he and my wife were in, uh, Project Interphase, and uh, it was a program for incoming pre-freshmen. And he would talk to me about Jesus. And though those he, Courtney and Michael were the two primary influences, and I always thought, well, getting saved, you know, maybe when I'm 30, um, but I just don't think I could live that way. I, I basically felt that there are things I wanted to do personally uh, that I just that clearly were compatible with, you know, with, 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 with Christianity. And, uh, and uh, I felt like, well, I couldn't keep that up for, you know, for more than like a week or two. Um, so junior year, uh, 1979, April Fool's Day, I, I figured out later, it must have been April, it must have been that Sunday, April, April 1st. I was sitting in my dorm room uh, in uh, uh, McGregor Dormitory looking over the Charles River at fourth floor, G entry. And uh, uh, Eva and I had gotten together, broken up, gotten together, broken up, and uh, gotten together, broken up. So we, we, she had broken up with me for like the third time. We were no longer, we, we weren't, you know, I wasn't, I was, I was sort of resolved to it. I wasn't, I wasn't upset. It wasn't a crisis. It was a beautiful day. Uh, sitting in my, my chair. And I remember feeling suddenly that I was balancing precariously on a mountain peak and could fall in any direction. And I had the very distinct sense that God was dealing with me, um, that uh, I had an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, and that if I said yes, it would work. I'd never felt that way before. Uh, all the other times I thought when people had sort of raised the issue, eh, that wouldn't work. But... On this occasion, I felt if I say yes, it'll work. He, you know, he'll keep me. Uh, I felt free to say no, but I didn't know when I would ever feel that same freedom to say yes again. And so I got down on my knees, you know, in, fr- at, in front of my bed facing the Charles River and asked Jesus to be Lord of my life. And then uh, I had three stacks of porn under 
porn magazines under my bed, and I, I had the sense, okay, this is no longer, <laughs> no longer appropriate. So I threw them, you know, threw them out in the trash in my suite. We had the, the, the way we had uh, eight eight rooms in a suite with a shared kitchen and bathroom, and uh, I threw them out. And my next door neighbor came out and said, "You're throwing this away." So he reclaimed all my porn, um, and. Uh, he had, interestingly, uh, I had stopped getting high three months before that. Uh, I, uh, I, used, I used to smoke, smoke marijuana, and I had a water pipe, and I remember trying to do math in my head while I was high. I tried to do calculus, couldn't do calculus. Tried to do algebra, couldn't do algebra. And I tried to do arithmetic, and I could not do three times four plus five and keep all the numbers and intermediate results in my head, I thought. Well, what if when I'm not high in the morning, the math doesn't come back? It was a silly idea, but but it scared me. I thought, you know what, I need to stop doing this. So I threw my water pipe in the in the trash. He can't. He he's just throwing this away. So he reclaimed my water pipe. So that was that was three months before that. So anyway, um, I called. I'm pretty sure I called my grandmother to tell her that I'd gotten saved. I called my sister Renee. Uh, called my mother. I think. What's your mom's name? Vivian, Vivian. Vivian Clark. She uh she she's not with us anymore, but mm-hmm. uh, Vivian Clark. And um uh, I made up my mind that I was going to go to uh the Black Christian Fellowship on campus. I didn't I wasn't comfortable going to church. My mother told me church was a full of hypocrites, so I was going to go to the Black Christian Fellowship. And uh, Eva called me a couple of weeks a couple of days later and told me that she had uh, gotten saved and that uh, it basically implying that any future relation we had would have to be very different, um, i.e. no physical intimacy. And, uh, um, but she said it so politely, so sweetly. And I, I, I agreed with her. I just, you know, it made sense. So I told her, well, I got saved too. And I understand now, I mean, w- when we tell the story, she, she had, she thought I was, you know, like, what do you mean you got saved too? I said, yeah. So, so she, she, she said, well, maybe you'd like to come to church with me. I said, no, no, church is full of hypocrites. Uh, I'm not going to go to church. I didn't tell her I was going to be going to the Bible study. I, I, for some reason, I didn't mention that to her. She kind of concluded, well, I guess I'll see you when I see you. And she basically thought I was full of it. Um, so that Friday, I did go to the Bible study. In fact, I stopped by her dorm to see if she was going. And she, I couldn't find her. So I went to the Bible study. Courtney was leading it. And after the study, I said, uh, I figured I should explain why I'm there. I said, well, you know, I've, I've asked Jesus to be Lord of my life. I believe he saved me. And... Uh, and I guess now, in hindsight, word went out on campus that the unthinkable had happened. And, um, but they were very polite, you know, very welcoming. And um, I started carrying around this Bible, King James Bible, that a cousin had given me. And uh, I didn't go to church that Sunday, but the Sunday after was Easter. And uh, so I went, <coughs> excuse me, I, uh, I went to First Church of God in the south end of Boston where uh, uh, Gideon Thompson was pastoring at the time, and uh, he and 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 his wife, Pastor Yvonne, they had the college students over for Easter dinner, and I asked him. I said, uh, Pastor Thompson, do you do you pray to the Father? Do you pray to the Son? Do you pray to the Holy Spirit? How does that work? He said, Well, I understand Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are God, but uh, Jesus said in John chapter sixteen that that day you won't ask me for anything. The the Father Himself loves you and will give you whatever you ask for in my name. And I just remember thinking, wow, you get answers. I thought, maybe churches are full of hypocrites, but I think I can hang with this guy. And uh, that began a relationship in which he poured into me. Um, uh, I would, um, there, there, was, there, was, there was a speaker who came to one of the, um, there's a group of Pentecostal churches in Cambridge, uh, the uh, United Pentecostal Councils of the Assemblies of God. And, uh, bishop Brian Green is the bishop over 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 that that uh, movement right now of pa- a Pentecostal Tabernacle and several other churches. Anyway, uh, Apostle Luther Blackwell came to minister. So this is back in in the you know by the early eighty eighty one, and he preached a sermon uh, about John chapter two that God takes the water of the Holy Spirit, pours it into you, the earthen vessel. Out comes the wine of the new birth and. I didn't hear it, but my friends did, told me about it. I go to Pastor Thompson Blackwell is preaching. Jesus takes the water of the Holy Spirit and pours it into you, the earthen vessel. How comes the wine of the new birth? And he said, well, he says, you understand that's allegorical preaching. I said, allo what? He said, well, 
says, I mean, it's true, but but that's not what that passage is teaching. Because if you make that passage teach that, you can make any passage teach anything. He said, you need to read this. He gives me Protestant Biblical Interpretation by Bernard Ram, hmm. which the second time I read it, I realized it's a fairly dry book. But I it basically inhaled it. And, uh, oh, there's principles for hermeneutics, scripture, et cetera. And then he gave me Systematic Theology by Thiessen and Systematic Theology uh, by um, Burkauer. And and then with questions of, you know, people were talking about the late great planet Earth and all of that. And it turns out that the Church of God, Anderson, that Bishop Thompson comes from, the movement he comes out of, is actually amillennial. And so he gave me, you know, amillennial uh, eschatology, what, where, and when is the millennium. And so... He he sort of fed me, you know, with with theological knowledge and approach to scripture and what have you, and and so I mean he mentored me, and then he, I got to hang with him when in his pastoral ministry, and so that was that 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 was an incredibly important relation was and is an incredibly important relationship. You mentioned that he he poured into you. Those Absolutely. are the words that you use, and and I was intrigued by that and wanted to know how how he did that. And when we come back. Let's go back a little bit further on that. You know, him pouring into you. I'd like to hear about, you know, what do you, in in his pouring into you, how the Lord led you from training in physics at MIT to pastoral ministry. I mean, you're reading Ram, Thiessen, and Burkauer. How, how was the Lord directing you in that way. Maybe even we'll talk a little bit about prophetic ministry as we go along. You're listening to Pastor Rockland Clark. He, When we come back from our break, we'll talk more with him. He traces his conversion to Christ, to MIT. That's where he met his wife, Eva, also an MIT alumna, who focused on urban studies and planning. Today, they pastor Life Church Ministries in Boston, Pastor Rockland Clark was a former member of the Massachusetts Bible Society where he served on the Board of Trustees. He also served on the Board of Directors of Emmanuel Gospel Center. LifeChurchBoston.org. Stay with us. The road of desperate life beneath the barren sky Leave it to me I lead you home Hi, this is Danny Yamashiro. In what way have you seen God work powerfully in your life? Do you have a story to share about God's provision and deliverance? Have you experienced God's healing? Do you have a testimony that will encourage others? 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. I want to share your story on our radio podcast. Please visit drdanny.live and share your Jesus story by clicking on the link at the top left of the home page. If you'd like to share your testimony in the form of a letter, send your correspondence to Formation Institute, P.O. Box 381-222, Cambridge, Massachusetts, 02238. That's Formation Institute, P.O. Box 381-222, Cambridge, Massachusetts, 02238. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. We talk about mentors in our life. Who, who, who is your mentor? Or who mentored you when you were growing in your faith? Did you have someone who poured into you and helped you in your spiritual formation? What about this? Are you mentoring someone today? Is there someone that you've taken under your wing? Are you pouring into someone else's life? These are questions, certainly challenges, maybe even points of affirmation for you. But these things have impacted the life of Pastor Rockland Clark, especially when we talk about Pastor Gideon Thompson, now Bishop Dr. Gideon Thompson, and him pouring into Rockland Clark's Life. You're listening to the Good Life Radio program. If you want to find out more about Life Church Boston, lifechurchboston.org. Mentorship, pouring into your life. 
He wasn't afraid to 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 field your questions. That's right. Uh, there was no intimidation involved. There was just, hey, there's a free flow, sharing, ask. Here's a response. That kind of interaction. What did that do in you as a as a curious person mm-hmm. with a mind hungry for more? Yeah, so that was a, an incredible blessing to me. I I realized subsequently that there are a lot of people who've been told. Uh, in the early uh, experience in church, don't ask, don't question God, don't ask questions, just believe, just have faith. But uh, Bishop Thompson created very safe space for me to ask questions, very comfortable space. Uh, he, he welcomed us in his home. Um, he opened himself to us and made himself self-available. And so I'm determined that uh, I want to answer people's questions, make sure people can get the answers that they need. Uh, I don't want people to ever feel like they, 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 they can't ask questions. Um, so, physics, mm-hmm. pastoral ministry. I mean, they both start with, we'll start with P. <laughs> how did one lead to the other? Yeah, well, you know, it, it, it's it's uh, I, I guess sort of the way the circumstances went. I mean, I my my goal going in was to be the first black Nobel Prize winning physicist. Um, God had other plans, uh, so. Uh, when I got to MIT, uh, I found a uh, an environment that included uh, uh, a lot of black students who were interested in science technology, naturally, at MIT. And whereas in elementary school and in, and in junior high, I didn't have that kind of a community. Um, you know, I was I was I was absolutely a nerd in high school, uh, but I found a bunch of not just nerds at MIT, and it, it's, it's not MIT; it's not all all nerds, but but I found black nerds and um, very conscious of the struggle for justice in this country. And it's at MIT that I began to really sort of find ways of engaging with that struggle. And so freshman year and sophomore year, uh, I got involved in the Black Student Union at MIT. Um, Black Student Union is significant because in 1968, uh, out of probably about 8,000 students, 4,000 undergrad, 4,000 graduate students, uh, there were 12 black students at MIT. And uh, Dr. Shirley Jackson, who just retired as the president of uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, was a, a, a student at the time, and she made a key decision to go back to, she was graduating and was going to go to graduate school somewhere else. And on the way back from uh, visiting a school in Pennsylvania was the night that Martin Luther King was assassinated. And she made a decision to go back and do graduate school at MIT. And because if she could make a difference at MIT, she could make a difference. Uh, MIT would have an impact uh, uh, broadly. And so she organized with the other, with the, with those 12 students uh, at MIT. They formed the Black Student Union, uh, made a set of demands to the institute. And MIT, for the first time, began to actually actively recruit. And uh, they, uh, Paul Gray, who was a believer, um, was the uh, was a was an associate, was an assistant professor. It was a professor at MIT at the time. He eventually became president of MIT and then chairman of the corporation. He's he he died a few years ago, but uh, he worked with those students and actively MIT began going around to different high schools and actually recruiting black students. And the following year, they they brought in a class of about 40-some-odd black students. And then each each year subsequently, they brought more and more. Uh, they, they were able to, to, to have a significant impact. And so I was sort of an, an heir of that tradition. I got involved. I became co-chair of the BSU and the Black Student Union and, and, and so on. So I got very involved in that stuff, and I got not so involved in physics. And, uh, and so my grades suffered, and, uh, and when I did apply to graduate school, um, uh, I, you know, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't get in. I only applied to MIT, and I didn't, I didn't get in. And so I was very disappointed, but I, by that time I was involved in, uh, in, in ministry at, uh, at First Church of God and then New Covenant, you know, New Covenant Christian Church. So I was, began to be, which is the, the ministry that, that Bishop Thompson launched, uh, subsequently. And so um, I just began finding myself actively involved in ministry. 
Uh, I went to work at MIT in the information systems department doing, doing uh, information technology programming and, and eventually project management. But, you know, sort of the place where I was sort of most uh, uh, deeply invested began to be ministry, cell ministry, uh, 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 helping other people, et cetera. And uh, I left New Covenant in 87 uh, to join another ministry, which in hindsight had you know, was, was, I believe, a mistake. But uh, in 94, when I came back, Bishop Thompson welcomed me back and welcomed me back into leadership and uh, eventually welcomed me on staff. And uh, I joined the staff in 2002. And then in 2003, they supported us in launching Life Church. How did the vision for Life Church Ministries grow from that yeah, so, listing place? So I felt like I wanted Life Church to be a place where people could live, experience life. And uh, we've had a lot of ups and downs. Um, I've looked at, uh, I've had a chance to make, uh, <laughs> I've had a chance to make interesting mista- mistakes. I'm trying to make better quality mistakes these days. But uh, probably the most important aspect of Life Church now is our focus on discipleship. And that's the result of looking at problems that arise in the lives, uh, that arose in the lives of people that I know, because there are lots of people who who came to Christ uh, around the, shortly after the time that we did. We had a mini revival on campus. A lot of those folks stayed. They found, you know, uh, an important home with other believers uh, coming together. But as I looked at things that happened in their lives and then in the lives of our children, I began to realize that Something that I think was missing was a basic uh, fa- focus on the actual life of Jesus, the things that Jesus said and did in the Gospels. I think a lot of ministry gets very focused on, particularly in the Word of Faith uh, movement, promises you can claim on some level to get God to do stuff for you. Um, that's not always always the way people would put it. But I think it ends up, uh, that's the way it, it often ends up working out. And things that Jesus said, uh, his mission to that the kingdom of God is here and that God is basically reclaiming this broken world, that doesn't get the emphasis that it needs. And so I'm now, we're now developing a, an approach to discipleship that, that's focused on the gospel of Matthew understanding that as a foundation for who Jesus was, who he is, and what he's calling us to do. And uh and so that that's what we are that's what we're doing now and uh uh that's what I I believe we're we are called to 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 do and to develop. This idea of discipleship mm-hmm. sounds very Christ centered Great commission centric. Yeah. And so when we come back, let's talk a little bit about more on this area of discipleship. But I'm question, curious about the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life, in view of that, and even how prophetic ministry has helped maybe guide or shape you, maybe encourage you throughout your life in ministry. You're listening to Pastor Rockland Clark. More from him, lifechurchboston.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life, aimlessly beneath the barren sky. Leave it to me, I lead you home. Hi, this is Danny Yamashiro. A woman in Boston recently told me, I listen to your program every day and was inspired by the man who became an NFL quarterback. A person in Orlando said, I heard your podcast of the man who came to God during the Jesus movement. Another friend said, that pastor who gave one of his organs to a boy without ever meeting the child touched me about Jesus' love. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is made possible through financial partners. Would you consider sending a gift to keep our program going? Podcasts have been downloaded in 49 states and 35 nations in the last six months. Please help us expand our reach. 
go to drdanny.live and click support this media ministry. That's drdanny.live and click support this media ministry. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Pastor Rockland Clark is a member of the MIT Educational Council. He's a board member of the Black Alumni of MIT and volunteer staff of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at MIT during our break. I was just saying, I just appreciate his his candor, and we certainly need that in the body of Christ. And the Lord moves powerfully as we're open before him and open before others. You can find out more about Life Church Boston at lifechurchboston.org. So, Rockland, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. you talked about discipleship. You talk about discipleship. We talk about Great Commission and how important and vital that is, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What does uh, the ministry mean to you? Well, um, certainly in uh, Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter preaches his Pentecost sermon after the Holy Spirit descends on the church. And uh, and so the 120 are gathered in the upper room, and Holy Spirit descends on them, and Peter gets up and speaks, uh, explains that this is that which was spoken about the prophet Joel. That's an experience that was uh, taught uh, under uh, under Bishop Thompson's ministry, and I began uh, I, I I experienced being filled with the Holy Spirit uh, sometime in 1979 and 1980. Uh, yes, it was before I got married, uh, and so um, we got married in 1980. So uh, yeah, and I I uh, experienced speaking in tongues, uh, and uh, I still do. That's an important uh, aspect of my life. I've been the recipient of, I've seen people operate in prophetic ministry. Um, and But I want to be clear that, that the ministry of the Holy Spirit isn't all, you know, God's, God is love and the capacity to love others is empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I don't want to make it seem as if the Holy Spirit is only involved in that which looks explicitly supernatural. Um, but... Nevertheless, I have experienced supernatural manifestations. Um, I have occasionally given messages in tongues. Not uh, That's not normally how God uses me. I have, uh, on a few occasions, once or twice, given a prophetic word, but that's not normally how God uses me. But, uh, but you know, I'm a, I'm a teacher and, uh, and, and, and a pastor. And, uh, but I have been the recipient of powerful prophetic words, and uh, there are links available on the website. I'm not going to type them, but they were very encouraging to me. The first, uh, in 94, when we came back to New Covenant, I was very demoralized, basically as a result of my experiences at the ministry that we had, had left New Covenant to, to, to join and had come back from. And the prophetic word that I got uh, from Dr. David Ireland um, was one that really sort of helped to encourage me back into into ministry, and I've got a couple of more word, prophetic words from him during the annual convention that New Covenant would have. And then in 2003, I got a prophetic word from Prophet Todd Hall at the Jubilee uh, annual convention, and that uh, helped to launch us, helped help to sort of convince us to go ahead and launch Life Church. In what way? Uh, he prophesied that God was was calling me specifically, that he'd given me uh, wisdom, that it was a calling on me to be a teacher of the gospel. And, uh, and that turned out to be, uh, it's, it's, so in, in, in 2020, uh, let me, I, I know we're, we'll run out of time, but let me, so he, his, the prophetic word was that your true calling to be a teacher of the gospel is about to be highlighted. Um, we launched Life Church. I didn't think about teacher of the gospel in a technical sense. You know, it just seemed like a fancy way of saying, you know, God's called you to go out and, and, and lead pastorally, right? But in uh, 2019, uh, we were in the process of renovating our first floor apartment, and Brother Lou Frosten, uh, who was a deacon at, at, uh, at New Covenant, now Jubilee, 
uh, was doing the electrical work for us, and he had an apprentice with him. And I would get involved talking with them, and he's trying to witness to this apprentice. And so I joined in, and he would say, Rock, you should do a Bible study. And I thought, no, no, you do a Bible study. I'll help you. I'll give you material, et cetera. But he kept, this kept happening. Rock, you should do a Bible study. So finally, he wore me down, and in February, we launched a, a Bible study. And my initial plan was, um, you know, it turned out to be, he, he had already had a bunch of people to, that he invited, and so I invited a bunch of people, and we started meeting in my living room. And I said to them, I'm not interested in just teaching a class. I'm, you, we have to do this so that you're going to take this and teach it yourselves. And I, all of the things I've been thinking about in terms of failures I'd seen in other people's lives and in my own, I thought, we've got to start focusing on, on the gospel of Matthew. And so I, I, I organized the Bible study around teaching through Matthew. And then uh, COVID hit, and so we switched to Zoom. And then we're meeting via Zoom, and in May of 2020, uh, it's a Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, the first, I think, the first, the first one in, in in May was the time when uh, when the Ahmad Aubrey tragedy broke. The vi- he had been killed in January, February, but the video surfaced of him being killed by those those people who chased him down. Uh, broke in in May and th- that day we were scheduled to teach on uh on turn the other cheek right we're going through Matthew getting through the the sermon on the mountain i thought i can't this is a bunch of of black men you know dealing with racism in the united states i have to teach this in a way that's you know authentic to who the audience is, and in fact, I need to teach in a way that makes sense for an urban community. And so I thought, okay, Lord, I, I, I need to, I need to, there's a way I need to approach this. And then the next, when we got to the next section, which is love your enemies, that's when, um, when uh, the, uh, the, the event broke with, with, uh, with, with, with the brother who's, with the policeman's leaning on his neck, right? And, and, and so it just reaffirmed for me, okay, Lord, that, that's right. I've got to, I, I got to teach this in a way that works for an urban environment. And, um, and so it, it sort of framed for me, I'm teaching the gospel. I'm teaching the, the story of Jesus. I am a teacher of the gospel. The, we've reframed our entire ministry around the gospel of Jesus, his life, his message, and then his resurrected power and calling to uh, to us to to transform our broken world. Jesus transforming our broken world. Amen. It's happening as you teach, you f- fulfill the calling that God has given you. How has the Lord helped you, Rockland, through challenging times re- recently? Well, I have an amazing wife. Uh, that's probably the 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 main. I mean, without Eva, I can't imagine how I could have done any. I mean, she, my wife, understands me. She supports me. Um, she she encourages me. She's she's perfect for me. So I have an amazing wife. Uh, I have good relationships with the people who 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 pray for me and who encourage me and who who who. Who, um, who, who believe in me, um, and uh, and I find that he has also freed me to appreciate who he made me to be, and not to feel like I have to be someone else. Um, That's liberating. I, I, yeah, it is liberating, and it takes a while. You know, oftentimes, you know, when you come up under a great person like Bishop Thompson. Uh, it can take a while to figure out, you know, God put him there to pour into me, but I, I can't be him. I, I, I have to be me, but I deeply value and appreciate who he was and is in my life. But to begin to feel the freedom to, okay, there's, there's something that God has called me to do, and I have to sort of relax and and appreciate that God called me to and begin to value the thing that God called me to do. 
And so probably most recently, that's the, I mean, I'm 63, but I'm in a place where I begin to appreciate that. Someone listening today Mm -hmm. may not have that liberty. Right. They're still working it out. They might even be, their eyes might be open just by listening to you speak, Mm -hmm. realizing, well, I haven't really worked that out. They're trying to be someone else. But just to hear you share your journey has that sort of a release type of dynamic to it. Would you pray, mm-hmm. Rockland, for someone who is on their journey in, in Christ to being who God has called them to be yeah. in the Lord? And perhaps there's a new season for them as you're in this beautiful place, a new season for them one of hope and one of fulfillment. Please. Father, we thank you for those who are listening uh, to this program. And I'm praying for anyone who's listening who is maybe stuck trying to be somebody else and not valuing who you created them to be. So I'm praying that uh, for those who are listening, that they'll take the time to get alone with you and ask you, uh, Father, am I being who you created me to be? What do I need to understand about who you created me to be? Help me, Lord, to relax and receive uh, your revelation about who I'm supposed to be so that I can fulfill the purpose for which you created me. Uh, I'm praying, Lord, that uh, each and every person will take the time to do that and to wait patiently to hear back from you because you will surely answer them. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Rockland, Pastor Rockland Clark, thank you for spending this time with us today. Thank you for the opportunity. Heartfelt words from Pastor Rockland Clark, LifeChurchBoston.org. My friend, God's timing is perfect. And look, there's no better time than right now to share the love of Jesus with someone near you. And hey, if you haven't done so, I believe this might be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Christ. Would you do that? Go to DrDanny.live for next steps and find resources to reach family and friends. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or major platforms. Matthew 6.33 Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Pastor Rockland Clark, LifeChurchBoston.org Until next time, along with my producer and creative director Brian Torres, social media director Luke Yamashiro, guest coordinator Jan Yi, and board operator Joseph Valdivieso. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone today. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of The Good Life with Dr. Danny. We hope that today's program has been a blessing for you and that you may find hope in hearing how God's Word affects people from all walks of life. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a listener-supported program, and we'd like for you to prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor or donor. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. Be sure to tune in weekdays at 6 p.m. to hear The Good Life with Dr. Danny. Until next time, may God richly bless you with The Good Life.